0: Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for a wonderful wife. And happy Valentine's Day to everyone. It's a day of love and fellowship. And, you know, we all love each other in the Lord. And we're a family of God. So happy Valentine's Day to all. So grateful that God continues to be at work in just incredible ways. And um, as Charlotte prayed for the offering as well, uh, we're not passing around the offering bag during this season, but we do have an offering box uh, right back there in, in the offering table with instructions on how to give, so you can go ahead and do that as well. We're going to jump in to the Word of God now, and we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 to 18, de Corinthians 3, 17 al 18. And you can follow along in your Bibles, or you can hear God's Word read aloud. And you can also um, follow along in the uh, with the projector screen as well. That will be there for you. 2 Corinthians chapter three, verses seventeen to eighteen. And I love this chapter of the Bible. Second Corinthians three, in many ways, really did help us in defining part of our Imago vision of our identity in the image of God. And you'll see why in just some of these verses here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 to 18, that'll be our main text, but we will be looking at different passages during the message as well. Let's hear now with open ears and open hearts from the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, There is freedom, and all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All of us with unveiled faces being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you that the work that you're doing in our lives goes so much more beyond what's on the outside, Lord. So much more beyond what is seen, as was prayed earlier by Charlotte, God. Also into the things that are eternal, into the things that are unseen, Lord. You are working through it all in amazing ways and unique and wonderful ways that only you, as God, are able to, Lord. And we just pray this morning that we would lean into what you're doing in each one of our lives, God that we would lean into what you're doing in the life of our church community, God, especially as we're preparing to come back together, Lord, in the spring, in the summer, in 2021, God. We know that greater things are to come, Lord. Greater things are to come in our lives as we continue to seek you, to follow you, Lord, to be made more like you, Jesus. So, Lord, speak to us. May we get that spiritual nourishment this morning, we pray, Lord, and God, our eyes are on You. Take away the distractions. Keep us focused on You, Jesus. In Your name we pray, amen. So throughout this month, we've been in this series that we're calling Disciple Shift where we're intentionally making this shift to discipleship together as a church community, where we're making discipleship the central part of what it means to be a a follower of Jesus and what it means to be part of our life together here at Imago Church. We've intentionally and consciously and proactively made this disciple shift And in fact, why we're talking so much about discipleship is because that's something that's very central in the Scriptures and in the New Testament especially. In the Scriptures, we can see clearly, and even in in the context in which we live today, there's a difference between simply being called a Christian and being a disciple. A disciple is someone who who seeks to go beyond titles, but someone who seeks to be Christ-like. A disciple is not just based on a title, but it's based on our testimony. It's not just based on charisma, but it's based on character, Christ-like character. Character. And in fact, in the Scriptures, there are no instructions or directions on how to become or be a person that calls themselves a Christian. In fact, in the Scriptures, those that followed Jesus did not even call themselves Christians at first. In fact, that is who the Roman, the Roman Empire, those outside, those, the, that's what they would call followers of Jesus. They called them Christians. Not as a new religious category, but actually as the end of categories. Those that weren't following Jesus would call those following Jesus Christians because they did not know what to do with this group of people. This group of people from different backgrounds, different tribes, different languages, different ethnicities, different cultures. And the only thing that they had in common is that they worshipped a crucified and resurrected Savior. Jesus Christ. And the goal of Jesus' followers then is the goal of Jesus' followers today. Not to just have a title, but to be Christ-like. Not to just take part in some kind of new religious category, but into a new reality of following Jesus. But yeah, of course, we've come to accept and, and embrace the, the term and title of Christian. We are a Christian community and, and a Christian church, obviously. But that was, the origins of that category came in the book of Acts from, from people not knowing how to categorize Jesus followers. But what Christian meant was the following. Christian meant one that's associated with Christ or one that was like Christ in fact, the term Christian only shows up three times in the entire Bible. And in the book of Acts that was uh, written by Luke, he's really describing these events in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, we see that this is the place where the disciples were first called Christians. So if you catch that, that's pretty, pretty amazing. The disciples were first called Christians. They were disciples before they had the the category of Christians or the title of Christians. So, what exactly is a disciple? We're going to dig deep into that today. But disciples, um, this word, we find it all throughout the Scriptures, in the Gospels, in the New Testament. But in the Gospels and New Testament, the disciples are not just the twelve apostles, The 12 apostles were those that were with Jesus, that walked with Jesus, that were with Him during His years of ministry here on earth. But disciples always referred to a broader group of people, a broader category in the New Testament. Disciple always refers to Jesus' followers. Now, we may be comfortable claiming the badge of that title of of Christian, it's easy to say, that's the truth, that's the bottom line. It's easy to say, I am a Christian. I have that title. But are you a Jesus follower? Am I a Jesus follower? That's what a disciple is. And that's the main emphasis, that's the main invitation in the Scriptures to be a disciple. Are we following Jesus or are we simply believing in Jesus Now we need to believe in order to follow but God invites us to believe in order to continue to follow Are we following the example of Christ in the way that we live our lives or are we settling for something else Are we settling for another example a lesser example. Now, it's pretty crazy and terrifying to actually confront this question, am I following well? It's pretty crazy to to really embrace this and engage this question because that's where the rubber hits the road. Because here's the truth, anyone today, and we've seen this throughout history, anyone can come up with their own categories and call it Christian, Because in the Bible, it doesn't define that word necessarily. But know this, and we've seen it over and over again, right? There are hundreds and hundreds of so-called Christian cults, right? But just because something is called Christian does not mean that it is Christ-like or that we are being Christ-like in just having the category of that movement, of that group, of that teaching, whatever it may be the Bible doesn't define that word again, right? So it can become anything and everything and almost nothing at times. We can just attach the label to it. But the Bible is very clear about defining the word disciple. A disciple is a follower and an imitator Of Jesus Christ, as as this passage says in 2 Corinthians, one that's being made more and more into the image of Christ. So, calling myself a Christian, that's the easy part. It really doesn't come at any kind of cost. And in some social circles, it can elevate our status. In other social circles, maybe not so much. But just calling myself that label does not really come at a cost. But being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple, always costs something. Because we're following someone who laid down his life, who surrendered, who sacrificed, that's who we are following. One of my favorite writers of the the 20th century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was able to preach the gospel and speak the truth to power in the context of Nazi Germany back in World War II. And he's one of my all-time favorite writers and theologians, and one of his most powerful books that he ever wrote was entitled The Cost of discipleship. and In fact, that's what it's called in English, but in the original German language, the the book was simply called, Follow Me. The two words of Jesus to all of His apostles, His disciples, His early followers were just those two words, and He extends them to you this morning, follow me. We see throughout the Bible and throughout history that those disciples who who paid the highest cost for discipleship, they made the most difference. When we follow Jesus, it comes at a cost, the cost of surrender, the cost of laying down our lives, the cost of letting go and letting God do something new in our lives, because we're following a king who came to reverse the order of things. The one who, as we've said here at Imago Church before, the one who came to turn things right side up, following Jesus, then is the same call as following Jesus today. It requires us to live in a different direction. It requires us to go in many and many times against the grain and in many ways following Jesus as a disciple will require us to be counter-cultural. Regardless of who's in power, or who's in office, or what your point of views are, the kingdom of God is not of this world. So, it's going to require Jesus' followers to go in a different direction, to not conform to the patterns of this world. As it says in Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Instead, be renewed, have your mind renewed by the power of the Spirit. So, we're called not just to a title, but to a life with God, a testimony, to be a disciple, to be followers of Jesus, to follow a king whose kingdom is not of this world. Jesus defines this very well in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is the most famous and probably the most quoted and perhaps the least applied sermon that Jesus ever preached. And we find it in Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 2. Jesus introduces the greatest sermon of all time declaring the ways of his kingdom and how they're different than human kingdoms and the patterns of this world. He says in Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 2 the following, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And from there came the greatest message of all time, Jesus declaring the ways of his kingdom that are so far from the ways of the world, the ways of humanity, he's introducing a new way to live, to be, to follow. And in fact, it's pretty amazing because you can imagine there were many people there. There was a huge crowd there that they were attending, and they didn't even recognize or know who he was. This was an event that was going to impact history unlike anything else. And they were there in the crowd, and they had no idea who he was. It kind of reminds me of uh, a couple of situations I can think of, of being somewhere, but having no idea of what is to come. You know, I once read that uh, Walt Disney's daughter had no idea that he was the chief mastermind behind Disneyland. She just thought he was dad, and never knew that he was the one behind Mickey and some of her favorite characters. You know, similarly, again, not being somewhere and not knowing what is to come. Back in January 2020, I had the opportunity to be in a packed Staples Center in Los Angeles with tens of thousands of people. And this was actually for a basketball game. And it was a week and a half before Kobe Bryant died last year. I would have never have guessed that a week after I had been there, millions of people would have gathered there to pay tribute to the late basketball legend. Again, I was there, but I had no idea of what was to come, similar like the crowds there present in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Another uh, example that I could think of of, uh, meeting someone but not really knowing who they were I'm not, I don't remember if I've shared this with uh, the community here at Imago, but when I was in high school, I actually got to meet a U.S. president. I, it was George W. Bush was president back then, and I wasn't following the news or anything like that really. But we were on a field trip in Southern California in the Museum of Tolerance, and some of our teachers had told us that George Bush was going to be there, and we saw him make a speech from a distance. But then there was one point when we were at an exhibit, and I was always that kid that kind of just uh, you know was was not was sometimes. Um, caught up doing something else and couldn't keep up with the rest of the group but i i and a parent chaperone we were in this exhibit we were the last ones there and as we were about to leave we saw a bunch of secret service agents start to to come in and check things out and as i was leaving the door right in front of me comes president george w bush And he just says hello to some of us. He shakes the hand of the parent that's next to me, and he just leaves. Actually, at the time, he was a candidate. He was before he was president. And I remember going home and realizing that I didn't really know who that was, but in the coming months, I came to realize that was going to be the next leader of the free world. Now, similarly, none of those things really compare to those that got to be present for Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. They were present there, and they didn't even know what was to come. The greatest sermon of all time, a live event that shaped human history unlike anything else, an event that would reshape human values, that would reshape human norms unlike anything else. Jesus stands up in front of this huge crowd that doesn't really even recognize him and he gives a declaration. He says that the kingdom of God, which he came to represent and to declare, it's an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom that's counter to human kingdoms. In this sermon Jesus says things that so many of us are familiar with now, but sometimes don't even realize that that's where they came from. It's in this sermon that Jesus says, love your enemies. Give away your stuff. Be generous. And when someone asks you for a little, give them a lot. When someone wants to borrow from you, let them borrow and don't even ask for the stuff back Go the extra mile, turn the other cheek. All of that comes from the Sermon on the Mount. He goes on to say in this powerful message, you can't make things right with God until you are right with the people around you. So don't think that you can have peace with God if you have not made peace with the people in your family, in your household with the people in your church family. Jesus even says, leave your sacrifice at the temple and go make things right with your brother or sister, because you cannot be right with God if you're not right with your brother or sister, if you're not right with your own household, with your family, if you're not right with your neighbor. Again, the great The grace of God abounds, but these are the standards of this new way, this new kingdom that's not of this world. He goes on to say in the Sermon of the the Mount, and you know what Jesus says? Stop staring at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye. Instead, take out the speck from your own eye, and then you will be able to see your brother or your sister better. Take out this speck from your own eye and you will be able to see reality clearer. You will be able to better help yourself and your brother or sister. He goes on, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Not anymore, says Jesus. Not in my kingdom, not in my house, that is not my way, not for those who follow me. And then, of course, he begins this whole powerful message with the words, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Meaning, blessed are those who know that they don't have it all together. People like you and me, blessed are those who don't have it all together. Those who know that they need God. If we know we don't have it all together, if we know we need God Jesus stands there on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you are blessed. That's the first step toward following me. In Matthew 7, 28 to 29, he he concludes the Sermon on the Mount, and it says this. The passage tells us that Jesus spoke as one who had authority, authority over a new reality, a new kingdom. Follow me, says Jesus. Be my disciples. That's the calling of Jesus then. It's the calling of Jesus today. And discipleship is oftentimes going to be the road that is less taken for believers. But we have an opportunity to enter into that, whether we're new to faith or we've been in church for many years, we can grow in our discipleship. We can take the path beyond just believing and into following and imitating. So exactly what is discipleship? What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? A disciple is someone that follows Jesus, as we said, before there was even the term Christian, they were called followers. They were called people of the way. Discipleship is each person's relationship and journey with Jesus Because that's His calling, just those two words. And He extends it to each one of us here, whether in person, online, or wherever you're seeing this. Jesus calls you to follow Him. And as we follow Jesus, we will experience different stages of discipleship. And we've been talking about this over the past few weeks. The first stage is that connecting and believing, having a relationship with God. A relationship that transforms us, that renews us, beginning to have a bit more of a responsiveness and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives. But then, stage two is to grow and to mature. We're called on a journey, not just to take one step, but to take the next steps with Him, to grow and mature in authentic living in our relational involvement with the people of God, in our love for the church, for God's people, in in our love for the lost, for those missing, for those that need to hear this good news. And stage three in discipleship is serving, where we can serve joyfully out of a heart of gratitude. Stage four of discipleship is multiplying, where each one of us can embrace our God-given shape, our God-given gifts, spiritual gifts, personality, all of that, and use it all for God's glory as you make and multiply disciples. In fact, making and multiplying disciples, that's part of of the last command, not only request, the last command of Jesus. Before he ascended back to heaven, after he had had resurrected, he told the disciples, the apostles, all those that were present, he says in Matthew 28, he gives us a great commission. He says, go and make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. That's part of our goal in 2021 to grow as mature disciples. Because here's the truth in order to make or multiply disciples, then you need to be a disciple. Because you and I can only multiply who we are just like a tree could only multiply the fruit that it actually is. You do not, we do not, I do not multiply what I think, what I say, what I intend to do. But we can only multiply who we are. And that's why Jesus himself says it really well in the Sermon on the Mount, right? In Matthew 7.20, Thus by their fruit... You will recognize them. You will recognize my disciples through their fruit. Not through their titles. Not through their nice spiritual language. Not through this. Not through that. But through their fruits. Not through their rule keeping. Not through their rule breaking. But through fruits. Because discipleship is a call to grow up. To grow up from being spiritual babies to becoming spiritually mature. So that's part of the journey that we're taking together in 2021 to go from being spiritual infants to being spiritually mature. And that's that's okay. That's a journey. God meets us wherever we're at. Whether we're new to faith, whether we're taking our next steps in faith, whether we're coming back to faith or whether we've been in church for decades now, we have the same call to grow and mature. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 reminds us of this, and we talked about this passage during Tuesday night's Bible study. We went really deep in it. But Hebrews 6, 1 reminds us of this. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Now, I'm a dad. Charlotte and I are parents. Some of you can tell, even in a service like this, our kids just running around. And that's okay. We decided early on that we were just going to do life with our kids and take them everywhere with us. And, and, and that's been good, been uh, stressful at times, but uh, God has been good. As a father, I know from personal experience that children are hard work. Who knows that here? I think we have a lot of parents and some at home as well. Children are hard work. Babies, especially, are hard work. Congrats to some families even here in the Imago community that have had babies during this pandemic season. I can imagine that that seems even uh, quite challenging, but also joyful as well. Now, one thing that anyone that's been a parent knows, or if you've had children in your life, regardless of whether you're a parent or not, you're aware that it takes hard work to teach a baby how to eat. Of course, the baby goes through different stages, right? It starts with depending fully on mother's milk, and then goes on to baby food, and then comes solid food which can then be cut into little pieces and bite-sized pieces. And sometimes a baby doesn't want to eat, a baby complains and cries, and we have to think of creative ways to get the baby to take the food. But here's the bottom line. For any of us that are parents, we know that that is a key goal. And anyone that's a human being, a person, right? Children need to learn how to eat their food. They need to learn how to cut up their food and ultimately to prepare their food because that's called growing up. And in the same way in our spiritual journey, we need to learn to mature, to grow and to eat, to eat of spiritual food. There's a phrase that's pretty popular, right? out there, and I've heard it before, and to be honest, I've probably used it before as, a, as an excuse or cop-out or whatever it may be, but there's this phrase, right, that says, well, I'm just not getting fed, especially when it comes to, you know, church and spiritual conversations and whatnot, and I get it, in some contexts, that's true. If the preacher is not preaching the Bible, not preaching Jesus, not preaching the gospel, then yeah, you need to go somewhere else, right? You need to get properly fed. But if the gospel is being proclaimed, I've really come to a point of wanting to encourage. Anytime I hear that, I say, hey, take and eat. Taste and see that the Lord is Good because that's what we're called to do. We're not just called to be fed our entire spiritual lives, but we're called to learn how to take and eat, how to taste and see that the Lord is good. Because the truth is that many people, and this can be in, and in, I don't want to be with a broad brush here, but I've experienced this in my pastoral care, even in some of my own journey as well. The truth is many people have never grown up spiritually. They've made the initial commitment to Christ, but have never really understood what it means to be totally committed, a totally committed follower of Jesus. So in short, many of us, and this is part of our goal in 2021, have not responded to what the Bible calls discipleship. At Imago Church, we value deep discipleship because the Christian life is more than simply saying a prayer of commitment to Christ. That's an important first step. But the life with God, the life with Jesus is following Jesus, not only as Savior, but also following Jesus as Lord, as the center of our lives. Because here's the truth, if your only source of spiritual intake is hearing other people preach sermons, then you will be in a relatively weak state spiritually. You're going to go hungry. And the example I like to to give is this, right? What if I gave you two choices right now? If I gave you two choices between having three small meals a day or one giant all-you-can-eat feast feast? Once a week on a Sunday. Which would you choose? For your own health. For your own growth. Of course, the wise decision, the healthy decision, is to even have smaller meals on a daily basis. And here are three small meals. We all have breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, right? We can do the same in our spiritual lives, Prayer, God's Word, and being in fellowship with God's people. We can do that daily, even in a small way. Prayer in the morning or in the evening, God's Word, reading a verse, five verses. It takes less than three to five minutes. In the Bible app, there are many outlined plans on Tuesday nights. We have different plans that we're going through. And then being in fellowship with God's people. And guess what? That can begin in your own household. That is how we get daily spiritual nourishment. Of course, there's a place for teaching and preaching. And I'm a teacher, I'm a preacher, so I'm glad that there's a place for that. Really glad and grateful. But what God's trying to teach us here is the fact that you and I have to learn how to eat on our own. How to cut our own food, so to speak. You have to learn how to feed yourself spiritually. To take and eat, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not just look at the food, but take and eat of it in order to mature, to grow, to not be stunted, right? We skip meals. We skip important uh, vitamins or nourishment. A child can be stunted in their growth. That's why Hebrews 6.1 tells us, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. I love how one writer, Eugene Peterson, he, he passed away already, but he actually uh, translated, he paraphrased the Bible into modern language. Some of you maybe have heard of it. It's called The Message, The Message Version. And it really uh, paraphrases the Bible in everyday ordinary language. And this passage that we're reading, Hebrews 6.1, he actually translates it this way to translate to our language today in 2021. He says this, this is how he translates Hebrews 6.1. So come on! Let's leave the preschool finger-painting exercises, exercises on Christ and let's get on with the grand work of art. Let's grow up in Christ is this passage in the modern language. So in short, and we'll conclude with this, discipleship is the call to... To grow up. To grow up as believers and not be spiritual infants or spiritual babies forever. Because here's the truth, and any of us that have had children or have worked with children or or whatnot are aware of this. Babies are very cute. They're very wonderful. They're very darling. But at some point, as they grow, as they're meant to grow, they're not as cute anymore, right? They're still, we still love them, we still care for them, but uh, a baby at age 5, at age 10, age 15, a person at age 15, at age 20, still acting like a baby, is suddenly not as cute, is it? Or maybe, maybe you think differently than me. <laughs> The call to discipleship is to not just conform to growing old, but to growing up together, to growing mature as the people of God. My prayer is that we choose to grow up together, to be the men and the women that God has called us to be to go beyond conforming to simply calling ourselves Christians with the title. We're going to embrace the title, of, cur- of course, but we're going to go beyond that. Instead, may we follow Jesus as Christ-like disciples. And in our life together, may we, day by day, trust. May we trust God to bring into completion the good work that He began in each one of us to make us disciples who reflect our Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, in our words, in our thoughts, and in our actions. The one who calls us is faithful, and He will do it. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you because your word is true. We thank you, Lord, because you are faithful and you are enough, Jesus. You are sufficient. With you, all things are possible. And we pray, Lord, that you would take us from here to there. Would you grow us, nourish us, mature us, do whatever it takes, Lord. Take us beyond just simply taking that first step in believing, Lord. Teach us to follow. Give us the courage to follow You, Lord. Help us, Lord God, to not conform to the patterns of this world, but look to You, God, and to this new way that You give us in Christ, Lord. I thank you for every person that's here right now in the sanctuary, Lord. All the families represented here, those watching at home, God, I pray for them as well. And Lord, we trust in your promises that you who began a good work, Lord, will bring it into completion. And the one who calls us is faithful and he will do it. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.